Amen. Let's pray, thanking God for that gift of love that he sent. Father, we thank you that on a day like today, we can gather together and sing and celebrate and rejoice and sing words about hope and grace and life and truth, all because in love you sent your Son to be the Savior that we need. God, we thank you for this gift. We pray that we would not waste this gift, but that we would rightly appreciate it, that we would worship in response to it. And Lord, as we come to your word now, we pray that we would be changed by the truth, that we would be people who worship in spirit and in truth, that we delight not just once a year at one special season, rejoicing in your goodness and in your gift, but that we would be people who worship in spirit and in truth every day. God, help us and teach us and show us what this means to walk with you faithfully, to worship in spirit and in truth. Use your word, your spirit now in this time to change us and to grow us. And we pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen. You may be seated, and if you would, please take your Bibles and open uh, to the book of John, John chapter 14. So far in our Christmas series this year, in our Sundays in the month of December, we've been considering uh, that wonderful question, who is Jesus? Who is He? What is so significant about this one that was born in Bethlehem? Why do we celebrate like this? Why do we remember, why do we remember his birth with things like songs and decorations and cards and, and gifts? Why do we do this? And in, in response to those questions, we've been looking at and examining a number of the I am statements in, in the Gospel of John. We've seen thus far that Jesus is the I am. That is, he is absolute being. He is worthy of glory. He is God of very God. He is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to and and longed for. We've also seen that Jesus is the light. He is the light who brings light. He brings truth. He brings grace into our darkness, into our desperate need for Him. Last week, we saw then that Jesus is the life. He is the life. Jesus came to purchase. He came to give eternal life to all who trust in Him. And listen, the eternal life, as we were reminded last week, the eternal life that that Jesus gives, it is not just some future, distant, boring, abstract thing. No, we are called and we are invited each and every day to live in the fullness of His life. To, to respond in joy to the gift that he is and to the life that he gives. Jesus is the I am. He is the light. He is the life. And this morning we will consider that Jesus is the way. He is the way. Now even as you hear that, you may be tempted to think or to wonder to yourself, that's a peculiar thing to call Jesus. That's a strange thing to say about someone that they are the way. The way to what? Or maybe the way to where? Or maybe the way to whom? And why do I need a way? I'm really good with directions. I can make my own way. I can find my own way, we may be tempted to think. Those are all good questions. We're, we want to answer them. But before we do, I want you to see where this truth comes from, where this reality comes from. How do we know that Jesus is the way 
whatever, whatever that means. I want you to see the heart of the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you're in John 14, just go ahead and jump down to verse 6 for just a moment. I promise we're not going to skip verses 1 to 5. We're going to get there. It's going to be wonderful. But just for now, I want you to see the heart of this passage where this conversation is ultimately driving to. In verse 6, we read, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here, Jesus declares himself to be the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus says nobody gets to the Father except through him. Now, as we look back at verse 1, I want you to keep in mind where this conversation is moving. And I also want you to take note of, of, of something else. Before we read verse 1, please note this on your outline. Mark this on your outline. This announcement of Jesus here being the way, it begins with a declaration of peace. It, Jesus is the way. We'll get there. And it begins in verse 1 with a declaration of peace which is so appropriate. It is so fitting because this is precisely what the angels announced to the shepherds when they first announced the birth of Christ. Remember the angels. Remember the shepherds and the glory of the Lord that shone around the shepherds. So read with me now what the angels said. And the words will be on the screen. Uh, Ignore my shiny head, but uh, read with me what the angels declared. Fear not, for behold, I bring you... Now stop there for a moment. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. Read it as if you believe that the coming of Jesus is good news. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That is such good news. At the beginning of Jesus' life, there is this announcement of peace. Fear not. Don't be afraid. The Savior has come. And now, towards the end of Jesus' life, shortly before He is going to be arrested and ultimately crucified and then to rise triumphant from the grave, there is this announcement of peace spoken by Jesus himself. With that in mind, look now at verse 1 in John 14. Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. (laughs) Believe in God, believe also in me. Please note it on your outline. We should see that Jesus' words here acknowledge, acknowledge the fact, acknowledge the reality that our hearts are often troubled. Our hearts are often troubled. In fact, uh, Bible scholars and commentators, William Henriksen and Simon Kistemacher, they make a very compelling argument based on the Greek construction of the sentence that Jesus speaks here, that these opening words could better be translated this way. Let not your hearts any longer be troubled. Let not your hearts any longer be troubled. In other words, Jesus is not ignorant. Jesus is acknowledging, he is addressing the trouble and the 
fear that is already plaguing the hearts and the minds of the disciples. Jesus is aware of the brokenness of this world and the despair that is so common in this world and the the havoc and the disaster that sin brings to this world. He is so aware. And, and, And remember that at this moment when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his disciples, it's fair to say, are not doing well. They are not doing well. They are kind of a hot mess. On the one hand, they are sad. As Jesus speaks to them here, they are sad because Jesus has told them very plainly that he is leaving. And they don't understand what that means. How can you leave? The ministry's really not going very well, Jesus. The religious leaders don't like us. And you're leaving How can you do this? How can you abandon us? They are sad. They are confused. Jesus is leaving. On top of that, they are ashamed. They are embarrassed. Because just recently, and I know this this isn't saying much. In fact, you could say what I'm about to say at almost any point in the Gospels, and it would be a true statement. But the disciples are ashamed and embarrassed because Jesus just caught them recently arguing selfishly among themselves about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And the disciples were arguing and fighting and they were bickering about these kinds of things. And Jesus had to gently and firmly come in and correct the disciples and rebuke the disciples and call them to walk in love and to walk in humility. They are sad. They are confused uh, because Jesus is leaving. Whatever that means, they are ashamed and embarrassed. They've been caught fighting amongst themselves again And they are troubled and perplexed because Jesus has told them very plainly that one of them is going to betray him. One of, one of the own, one, one of the twelve disciples is going to sell Jesus out, is going to betray him. Who is it, Jesus? Who's going to do this? How can there be a traitor in, in our midst? Sad and confused, ashamed and embarrassed, troubled and perplexed. And it's to that group of people that Jesus says, let not your hearts any longer be troubled. Such good news. This is such good news. And I wonder, can you relate to the disciples in any way this morning? Now, perhaps, perhaps everything in your world is wonderful. Your walk with God, your walk with Christ is exactly where it should be. In fact, your sanctification is ahead of schedule. You're more like Christ than you ever thought you would be at this point in in your life. On top of that, your health is wonderful. Your family is wonderful. Your sleep is wonderful. Your grades are wonderful. Your paycheck is wonderful. Your friends are wonderful. Even your boss and your co-workers are wonderful. And you are confident that this Christmas you will get absolutely everything on your Christmas wish list. It will all be there for you under the tree in just a few short days. Perhaps that's where you're at this morning. Or perhaps somehow, in some way, you can identify with the disciples this morning. Perhaps you too know a thing about sadness and confusion Perhaps you've experienced, maybe you are experiencing shame and embarrassment that comes because of 
stupid, bad, sinful, prideful decisions that you have made in your life. Perhaps there are many questions and many situations in life that are troubling and perplexing to you. So I remind you, it is to that person, it is to people like that, that Jesus speaks here. And He says, let not your hearts any longer be troubled. But friend, don't stop reading there. You can't stop. I know I just did, but you can't stop reading there. How dare you stop reading there? Because if you stop reading there, you miss the whole weight and the force and the direction of Jesus's argument. Jesus says, and here's the point, let not your hearts any longer be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is saying, Instead of sadness, doubt, fear, and a troubled mind, let there be trust. Let there be faith in God. Let there be faith in me. Jesus is saying, just as you trust God, trust me. As sent from the Father, as one with the Father, I speak His words, I do His works, I fulfill His promises. Let not your hearts any longer be troubled. Why? Because I have come. Because I have come and I know you. I know the despair. I know the questions. I know the perplexities. I know the difficulties of life. And I have come. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is so different. He is so much better than anything this world has to offer you. For example, Epicureanism was a school of philosophy that was founded in Athens about 300 years before Jesus was born. It was a popular, very popular, even at the time that, that, that Jesus is talking with his disciples, it carried on from Greek into Roman culture. It was a popular, pleasure-seeking, hedonistic philosophy. And you know what? It offered peace. Here's how it offered peace. This is one of the most popular uh, sayings and teachings of Epicureanism was this, quote, Do not be disturbed. In other words, be at peace. Do not be disturbed. For the gods, if they exist at all, take no notice of you. They don't, they don't notice you. Thanks for that. Thanks for that comforting word. In other words, be at peace because you are alone. Be at peace. The gods don't care for you. They're not watching you. They don't even notice you. Be at peace because no one and nothing takes notice of you. Jesus says the very opposite. Jesus says the very opposite. He says, you can trust the Father who sent me. You can trust the Father who sees you, who knows you, who cares for you. You can trust the Son of God who has come to be the way and the life and the peace for you. Notice what Jesus says next in verses 2 to 4. Jesus moves right into this next statement, proclaiming peace. Then in verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also and you know, you know the way to where I am going. Please note it on your outline. The purpose of Jesus' coming and of his leaving in this moment, as he talks to the disciples, 
It is future reunion. That's the purpose. That's the goal. That's what Jesus is moving towards and looking forward to. It is future reunion, not permanent separation. Jesus did not come to earth. Jesus was not born in Bethlehem so that he could then later abandon his people. Not true. Jesus did not let himself get arrested and crucified because he didn't care about us. Jesus didn't ascend into heaven and send his spirit to live in his people so that he could then forget about us and leave us as orphans. No, Jesus promises, Jesus guarantees, Jesus is working towards future, permanent, glorious reunion, joy-filled reunion with his people. And this is not a shallow Minor, disappointing kind of reunion that Jesus has in mind here. No, look at what Jesus says right in the middle of verse 3. He says, I will come again and will, you should underline this in your Bible, take you to myself. Take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Please note this on your outline. That phrase, take you to myself, implies a close face-to-face relationship. Face-to-face relationship. Listen, Jesus is not interested in saving you, in taking you to glory so that you can live in some remote hotel in heaven that's like 26 miles up the road next to some heavenly storage unit where unused Awana trophies are kept. That's not what Jesus has in mind. Jesus was born. Jesus came. Jesus died. He rose. He sent His Spirit. He is returning so that there might be future glorious face-to-face fellowship and face-to-face relationship with God. We're talking about full joy that is unhindered. He desires to bring us into His loving embrace. That's what Jesus is telling His disciples here. And this is so central. This is so important. It is so foundational to all that Jesus said and did and taught. Notice what He said in verse 4. Notice notice what He said at at the end of verse 4. He says this, And you know the way. You know the way to where I am going. In other words, Jesus says, I've been teaching this. I've been, exp- I've been explaining this. You know, you should know this. You should know this. That didn't sit well with one of the disciples. Thomas, he didn't like that. Look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Wrong, Jesus. Listen, how can we know the way when we don't even know the destination? We're so confused, Jesus. We don't understand what you're saying. And in response to that question, we get this glorious revelation and teaching from Christ. We've now come to the heart of this passage. Look again at verse 6. In response to that, how can we know the way? We don't know the way. We don't know the destination. We don't know the way, Jesus. Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him 
and have seen him. Now, please note this on your outline. Number three, as the perfect mediator, as the perfect sacrifice that, that the choir sang about just a few moments ago, the spotless, glorious lamb as the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the way, the way to life, the way to heaven. Yes, the way to truly know and have and experience God as father, God as father. Jesus is so clear at the end of verse 6, where he says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is, there is only one way to the Father. There is only one way to have God as Father, and it is through Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that even as I say that, you might be thinking, yeah, but why is that good news? I mean, what if I don't want to go to the Father? In fact, isn't Jesus saying that he's the way to the Father, like saying, I'm the way to the principal's office. Nobody wants to go to the principal's office. And if you're a principal here this morning, I, I don't mean to offend you, but nobody wants to go to your office. I mean, that's might as well say, I'm the way to detention. I'm the way to spending the afternoon playing scales on the piano. I'm the way to the Father. In what way is this good news? That's a fair question. And this goes back to something that both Stephen and Matt have addressed the last couple Sundays. And I'm so thankful that they did. So thankful that they did. Because this is a truth. This is a reality that we get wrong all the time. Our thinking about God can be so distorted and so twisted by our own sinful hearts and by the messaging that just confronts us and screams in our faces on a daily basis. We are so often tempted to think that God is not good that His work in our lives, it is not good. It is not what we want. We are so tempted to think God is misery. He is joyless burden that God sent Jesus only to show us our flaws and then to leave us in disappointment and pain. And brothers and sisters, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, it is true. It is absolutely true that God is pure and holy. It is absolutely true that God hates sin and injustice. He does. He hates wickedness. He will never turn a blind eye to what is wrong and what is corrupt. He will judge in righteousness. And yet it is also true that God is perfect love. That He is full of grace and mercy and compassion, which is, which is why when you read or you hear or you recite the most beloved Bible verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16, it begins by talking about the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God 
did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And here Jesus is telling His disciples, He is telling anyone who will hear and listen to the Word of God that there is a way. There is a way to eternal life. There is a way to a healed, restored relationship with the Father. There is a way to forgiveness of sins. There is a way to have the righteousness of Christ credited to your account and given to you. There is a way to be reconciled to God and it is through Jesus. And listen, it is to this Father that sent Jesus to be our Savior. It is this Father that James writes about and describes the the immeasurable riches of His goodness with these words. James writes in James 1.16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything that is good in your life is a testimony to the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God. This is a Father that you should long to know. You should long to be in His presence. It is to this good, gracious God and Father that David writes in Psalm 16 saying to God, You make known to me the path of life. In Your presence there is Fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures for a year, for a day, for a week, pleasures forevermore. Jesus is not the way to the principal's office. He's not the way to detention. He's not the way to discouragement. He is the way to your good, loving Father. He is the way to life, the way to fullness of joy, the way to eternal pleasure with Him. And this is so important. Please note this on your outline. Okay, Jesus speaks here with the greatest authority because He speaks as one who is one with the Father. He speaks as one who perfectly represents the Father. He speaks as one who shows us the Father, who shows us the Father. This is why Jesus says in verse 7, He says, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Jesus says that if, if you do know Him, then you do know the Father. In other words, to see and to behold the work of And the love of Jesus is to see and to behold the work and the love of the Father. Now, Jesus' comment here about seeing the Father, it sparked a thought in one of the other disciples. Earlier we saw uh, Thomas come forward and offer a thought and a question, and now Philip, Philip wants to come forward probably, and, and I don't want to throw Thomas under the bus either, most likely as representatives from, from the disciples. Philip has something to say as well. Look at verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So, in other words, Philip says, you know, Jesus, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. I vote for that. 
Show us the Father, Jesus. Show us the glory of the Father. Show us these things. That'll be enough. That'll, that'll be enough for me. That'll, that'll bring comfort and peace to my life. It is to this question, it is to this request that I think Jesus gets really excited. I think, I think, I think Jesus, uh, his atten- Jesus' attention is riveted to this question by Philip. How do I know? Because Jesus responds in verse 9 in a most direct and pointed way. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip's request, Philip's question is kind of like this. It's not exactly like this. This is not a perfect analogy. This may not even be a great analogy, but it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. Imagine that this year you are hosting Christmas at your house. Just a few short days away. And you have taken it upon yourself that you don't want anyone else to be burdened by bringing any food. So you are going to prepare it all. You, you're gonna, you're gonna do it all in love and grace for those, for your friends and for your family and for the large group that is coming over to your house. And so you are cooking for days leading up to that Christmas celebration. And here's what you have prepared. You have prepared a beautiful honey glazed Christmas ham, a large deep fried turkey. You have prepared mashed potatoes and gravy, stuffing, green bean casserole, baskets and baskets of biscuits and croissants with homemade strawberry jelly. There's raspberry jello. There's baked beans with bacon in it. You have made multiple trays of your homemade mac and cheese. And for dessert, for dessert, you have made apple pie with homemade ice cream to put on top of it. You've made pecan pies and chocolate pies and pumpkin pies that are swimming in Cool Whip. You have made all of this food and the time has come and it's ready and it's hot and it's all laid out and it's prepared and everyone's there and your cousin, your long lost cousin that you wish was still lost comes in to the kitchen and looks around at everything and actually says out loud, I wish there was something good to eat. Could you boil me a hot dog? What is happening? It's like you are blind. It's like you are blind to the feast that is right before your eyes. It's like you have gone blind. You cannot see. That's Jesus' point here in verse 9. This is why Jesus says to Philip, How can you say, Philip, how can you say, Show us the Father, Philip, how can you look at my life and my works and my love and my miracles? How can you look at all of this and say, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see it. Where's, where's the glory of God in this? 
Where's the glory and the fullness and the goodness of God in this? And yet, brothers and sisters, we do the same thing when and if we fail to worship Christ and we fail to find rest and joy and satisfaction in Him. And by the way, I promise we are almost done. We are so close. This is why Jesus says what He says next. Look at verse 10. I promise we're almost done. Jesus says next, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Please note this on your outline. Here's the point. As God, as the Word made flesh, as the Son who dwells in perfect love and unity with the Father, Jesus gladly, He gladly does the will of the Father. Jesus brings salvation to completion and Jesus shows us who we really need. He does. He shows us who we really need and who do we need. We need Him. We need His Word. We need His work. We need His Spirit. We need His grace. Why? Because He is the way. He is the way. This Christmas season, do not be deceived. Look for life in the giver of life. Find joy in the one who can bring you into the presence of your good, gracious Father. Treasure the Savior who freely gives eternal life to anyone and everyone who comes to Him. If, you, if you're here, if you're watching online, if you have never prayed to God and asked Him to forgive you of your sins, to make you His child based upon the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is nothing more important than you could do today. That's it. That's the greatest thing that you could do today is to respond in faith and trust and joy in the one that the Father sent to be your Savior. If you'd like to talk with someone, if you'd like to pray for someone, or if maybe you've already made that decision, but you need encouragement in your walk with Christ, it would be our joy, our privilege to talk with you, to pray with you. We will be available after the service, but not just after the service. You can reach out anytime. We would love to talk with you, to pray with you, to encourage you in your walk with God. The point is this, today and every day, come to the one Come to the one who is the way. Come to the one who says, let not your hearts any longer be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He is worthy. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you for moments like this to pause and to reflect on your glory, on your majesty, on the grace that you have shown in Christ. Lord, we do pray that we would respond appropriately, that we would respond in humble trust and humble faith, that we would be joy-filled because Christ has come. Lord, we recognize there are so many things that call out for our attention. There are so many distractions that confront us, even on a a minute-by-minute basis. 
And yet, God, we pray that by the work of your spirit, by the ministry of your word, that you would help us to keep in mind what is absolutely essential, and that is Jesus Christ. Knowing him, loving him, living for him this day and every day. God, we pray that your joy and your peace would rule in our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' good name. Amen. If you would, please stand. Oh, nope, remain seated. Choir's going to sing again, which is going to be awesome, and then we'll sing. <laughs>